I invite you to open the Bible and turn with me to the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus chapter 18, which might seem like an unlikely source for a sermon about America, but you need to open your Bible. We need to do something that people don't really do that much these days and open the Bible up to Leviticus. Anybody loving reading through Leviticus here at our church? Okay, well, you got to turn to chapter 18 with me. It's on page 96 if you got one of our Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible with you right now, feel free to go up and get one in the back or on the side because we are going to go through Leviticus 18 here together. And we're going to see what God says in this chapter of Scripture. You know, Leviticus is probably one of the least read books of the Bible, but the one that is talked bad about the most. And even people at church often... uh, have bad things to say about Leviticus, right? Uh, A lot of people have started their Bible reading plan, and it stopped in Leviticus. And they didn't say, well, I wasn't that committed, or I should have kept going. They blame Leviticus. They're like, have you read that thing? It's so repetitive. I don't know what it's talking about. Like, uh, it's Leviticus's fault that I stopped reading. That's that's what Christians say, right? People who uh, don't go to church, they love to make fun of Leviticus. They love to find a command that doesn't make sense in our culture because it's coming from an ancient context and they find a command that doesn't make sense or they don't think we keep today and they love to say, oh, look, you're not doing this and then let's just throw the rest of the book out. There's a lot of things, uh, a lot of people saying bad stuff about Leviticus, a lot of things they have problems with. Let's actually hear what it has to say. Let's stop listening to other people talk and let's listen to God speak here together Tonight, And I just want to read the first five verses for you right now. Leviticus 18, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now, I've heard about Leviticus 18. I've I've heard about it as a list of rules. I've heard people say it's a list of old rules that we don't need anymore in our modern way of life. We've moved past these rules. And so when I was reading through Leviticus to prepare for our church to all read through it together, I got to tell you, when I got to this chapter, it hit me, and and, and it really made me think, and I I was surprised that it wasn't just a list of rules. Now, before we get to the commands here that God wants to say, his statutes and his rules, he, he kind of is pulling his people aside, and he's saying, hey, you guys can't be like Egypt. That's where they just got delivered out of slavery in Exodus. And you guys can't be like Canaan. That's where they're going, the promised land in numbers. Like he's saying, hey, you guys can't be like the other nations. Hey, did you see what I just did to Egypt? Do you know what I'm about to do to Canaan to drive them out and give the land to you? You guys, if I am the Lord your God, you guys got to do what I I tell you, and you can't be like these other nations. Now, that that was a part I hadn't heard people talking about Leviticus 18. 
That God was saying, this nation, Israel, needs to be set apart. But really, he's giving these commands in the context of the other nations. He's really telling them what happened in Egypt and what happened in Canaan that led to them being judged and driven out of their land. Go to the end of the chapter and look at verse 24. Uh, Look at what he says here at the end of Leviticus 18. He says, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. So between verse 5 and 24, he does give some rules and commands. We'll get to those in a minute. But here's why he's telling them uh, not to break these commandments, because they would make themselves unclean. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And then he says this. This really is what got me. And the land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. So God's telling his people the true story of what happened in Egypt where they'd already been and the story of what was happening in Canaan where they were about to go that those people broke certain commands they did certain things that made them unclean and it made the land they live on unclean so that the land wanted to vomit the people who live there that nation out of it and when was the last time you vomited I'm sorry to bring it up right I mean, we, vomiting, see, that's something we have a gut reaction to, right? You know what I mean? Like vomiting, that, that's something that's built into the system. It's built into the design. This is how God made us. When something sick is coming into our system, we have this reaction where we just, we just vomit it. We just spew it out of our mouth. And God's given us the secret of the nations. He's telling us this is why nations rise and fall right here. Because when nations do certain things, they become unclean. And it's so built into my design of how I made this world that the very land that the nation lives on gets sick with their sin. And the land has this gut reaction to vomit that nation now and he's not just saying that about israel he's saying that about the egyptians the canaanites he's saying this is how the game of nations is played so go back to verse five and look what he said in verse five this is why if i'm the lord your god you shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules if a person does them he shall live by them God's saying that my rules are designed so that you would live. My rules are the way you're going to be blessed. My rules are the way I designed life to work when I created all things. So when you hear rules and statutes and you have a negative thought that comes to your mind, oh, commandments from God, like he's some kind of parent trying to keep his kids from all the fun stuff that everybody else is doing. No, God's speaking and he's saying, the reason I give you rules is so that you can live. Because otherwise you die. Otherwise the land gets sick and vomits you out. Otherwise your sin destroys you. 
Now, it's amazing to me how when we come to the Bible and God's giving commands, like God, the one who created life, who sent his son to die for us, God who loves us and wants good things for us, when he gives us commands, we're like, I don't know if I want to do what God's telling me to do. I don't know if this sounds right. But then if we go play a sport or or we open up a board game with our family at the kitchen table, the first thing we're going to do is be like, what are the rules of this board game, right? And we're going to all immediately think when it comes to our fun times, our free times, our entertainment times, hey, they broke the rules of this sport, and I'm really upset because we're playing a game over here, and everybody needs to play by the rules. And all of a sudden, everybody's pro-rules when it's fun time, but when it comes to the things that really matter, why does there have to be rules? That just shows how twisted we are in our thinking. And I want you to, to, I want to read this again here in verse 24 to the end of the chapter. And I want you to, to listen to this and you see if this isn't about the nation that you live in. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up out of respect as I read this section of God's word. This is Leviticus 18, 24 to 30. And I think this is a warning about how it works among nations that applies to our nation directly today. This is Leviticus 18, verse 24. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so that the land became unclean, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations... The persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. That's the reading of God's word. Please go ahead and have your seat. God has given you a glimpse here into world history. He's given you a glimpse into the rise and fall of many nations that the reason many of these nations were wiped out is because of the abominations that they did. And, uh, and, and this is something that applies directly to us here in America. Our nation, I want to take you through some of these abominations. We'll go through three of them specifically here. The ones that are listed here in verse 6 uh, to verse 23 And as we see these descriptions here, it's going to become all too clear that we're talking about us right here in America 2020. And if you look at verse 6, and if you're taking notes, you might want to write down some uh, some of these sins, some of these things that we're told not to do like the other nations. Well, it says, none of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. Now, from that verse six, verse 6 all the way down to verse 19, every single verse, there is going to be the phrase, uncover nakedness. So you hear the complaint about how repetitive Leviticus is? Here's a great example. All these verses in a row 
saying don't uncover the nakedness of somebody that's a close relative and then it's basically going to go through and name all of your close relatives and command you don't uncover their nakedness. Now the, rep the repetition here I think is very intentional by God because when you're reading all of these verses that tell you not to uncover your relative's nakedness, it gives a certain feeling over you of uncomfortability. And it gets very, very graphic about the things that people might do or the reasons they might uncover someone's nakedness. And it talks about your aunt and your, your brother's wife and all these specific people in these verses. Now, if you've been reading through the law with us, there was a line at the very beginning when God created them, male and female, when God designed marriage to be one man and one woman coming together to be one flesh, it says after that description of a man leaving his father and mother, cleaving to his wife, and the two become one, it says, and the man and his wife were naked and they were not ashamed. It's like, here's a place where two people were naked and it was a good thing. Here's a list of places where if there was nakedness, this would be a sin. This would be wrong. Now, when it, when it says uncover your nakedness so many times, a lot of people think that's some kind of euphemism for sexual activity, but I think that actually what God is saying is that he does not think that there should be any kind of brief nudity, that that's not the point. Like, no, like things should be covered. And uncovering nakedness might seem like, a, like a, not that big a deal in a culture where people are wearing less and less, and more of the more of the things that people look at have nudity involved in them, but God's saying very clearly there are things that should never be uncovered. And you got to think as he's making this list of all these different relatives, I mean, how many families, when they read through this list, are going to think about secret sins that are hidden deep down that people don't even like to talk about? When you, gotta, when you read through this list about uncovering nakedness, how many people are going to think about things that they have looked at on the Internet where they looked at people who were naked that they never should have been looking at? And God's saying, this is not acceptable. This is what the other nations do. This is why an uncleanness breaks out among the people and the land because things have been uncovered that should have ne never been uncovered. It's interesting that they're about to go into the land of Canaan and that's really the main people God's warning them about, that if I go and give you this land, because these people are so much in sin, I'm going to use you to come and judge them because of their sin, and you're going to drive them out of, the, out of the nation. But there's such a concern that God has that you're going to do what they did. Okay, So we're going to the land of Canaan here in the law. Now, there was already a really awkward story earlier in the law of uncovered nakedness where Noah 
was uncovered. He was naked in his tent. And his son Ham saw him. He saw his father naked. And instead of doing something about it, he went and told his two brothers. And then his two brothers, Shem and Japheth, they got a garment. They walked backwards and they put the garment on their father's body without looking to cover up his nakedness. And this was something that was seen as evil that Ham did to see his father's nakedness and not cover it up. Well, Ham, you would be interested to know, is the father of the Canaanites. That's why God is making such a big deal here about a people who are okay with nakedness that they should not be okay with. And so God says it from verse 6 all the way down to verse 19 And he gives all these different situations where there should be no nakedness. And then he says this in verse 20. Look at verse 20 with me here. He says, and you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and so make yourself unclean with her. So now we're moving from a phrase uncovering nakedness and now we're moving to this idea of lying down with someone. There's a distinction now in the language here in verse 20, and this is a reiteration of one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. Hey, there's a, there's a place when that man and that woman come together in marriage and they're one, that's where it belongs. Hey, anyone else outside of that marriage, you shall not lie with someone like that. Don't make yourself unclean with her. And after that restatement of adultery, which is a a major problem in our nation, which has led now to so much divorce, even people who go to church have committed so much adultery in America, then it says this, you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Now what is that about? Clearly, we're talking about issues of nakedness and and sexual immorality. And then we have this statement about giving your children to Molech. Turn over to Leviticus 20 with me, and it gives some more about this in Leviticus 20, verse 1. Leviticus 20 is very similar to Leviticus 18. It's like in Leviticus 18, God's saying, don't do this because the other nations did it. That's how their land became unclean. That's how they got vomited out. Leviticus 20 says what the consequences should be in the nation of Israel for doing these things. And there's really only two different consequences, primarily the two big ones, at least, that keep coming up is if someone does this, they shall be cut off from the people of Israel. And if someone does this, they shall be put to death. And so what we see here is some of these same things, but now the punishment, the consequence, the legal action. Look at Leviticus 20, verse 1. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel. So if it's one of you or somebody else who's there among you, who gives any of his children to Molech, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land 
do it all, close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death. Then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. So God's reiterating here, you cannot give your children to Molech, and if you do, you shall be put to death. And if you tolerate people giving their children to Molech, well then you, that whole group of people, will be cut off from among the people of Israel. If you're taking notes, you might want to write down there Deuteronomy 18, verse 9. Deuteronomy 18, 9 talks about, it doesn't mention Molech specifically, but it talks about this practice of the Canaanites to put their children through the fire. So for some reason, in the nation of Canaan, they thought it was going to be advantageous to take their children and to burn them in fire as some kind of sacrifice or offering to Molech. So they were doing child sacrifice. They were burning up kids for this false idol, Molech. And it's, and it's kind of mysterious exactly why they would do that. It doesn't spell it out. But clearly, there was some kind of advantage that people thought Molech was going to give them or they were going to get from offering their own children as a sacrifice. Now, I hope when you hear that, you're outraged at the idea of people killing their own children, burning them in fire, and thinking that they are going to get some kind of benefit. But before you get your pitchforks out and you get all upset about the killing of children, you might want to take a real moment to think about the land that you live in. This land is your land. This land is my land from California to the New York Island. And I did some research into, into why people die in America. What is the leading causes of death in America? And uh, the best information I could find where I could get all the accurate numbers was from the year 2017. So we got some stats here. The leading causes of death in America, 2017. And these numbers come to you from the CDC.gov, right? the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, and they're going to tell us that in 2017, first line here, the number one reason people died, uh, I guess we're starting here, and the third reason is accidents, okay? Accidents. Let's put all three of them up here. Accidents is, is the number three. Number two is cancer, and number three, number one is heart disease, Okay? You might even know someone who died in the year of our Lord 2017 to one of those three categories. And you can see that's a, that's a high number of people dying from heart disease, almost 650,000 people, almost 600,000 dying from cancer in that year, almost 170,000 people who died of, of some kind of accident where they weren't expecting to die, and it suddenly happened. This is what they'll tell you are the leading causes of this is what our government is telling everybody. Heart disease, cancer, and accidents. And then there's more reasons that people died in this year. Now, here's a number. Our, our government, the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, they don't give you this number as a part of that stat. That abortion is the number one leading cause of death in 2017. 
In fact, I got this number from the Guttmacher Institute, which is committed to making sure that everybody has access to a safe and legal abortion. They are pro-abortion, and their number is that there were 862,000 abortions in America in the year of our Lord, 2017. Our government, I don't know what our government is thinking. I don't know what they're doing at CDC, but apparently the unborn babies and all these women who are pregnant and that pregnancy is being terminated, apparently that isn't life or it isn't death because they don't even count it in their statistics. That's the nation that you live on. And the land underneath you is sick because we kill our children. People think there's a good reason, there's an advantage, there's something that they're getting by killing their own kids. That's one of the sure signs that a nation is ready to be driven out of the land that it's on. Look back at Leviticus 20 with me, because after it talks about offering your children to Molech, here in uh, Leviticus 18, verse 21, if that wasn't enough, and notice how God puts in, I am the Lord. He keeps saying this over and over throughout the chapter. I am the Lord your God. Then there's this verse right here. Verse 22 of Leviticus 18, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. So we've, we've been talking here about uncovering nakedness that was inappropriate. Then we transitioned in verse 20 to lying with someone, clearly referring to sex and not committing adultery. And now here it also says, you should not lie with anyone. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. So this is written here to the masculine, to the male, and it's saying male should not lie with male as he would with a woman. And it has a description here. And this is the first time we see the word here in this chapter, but then it gets repeated by the end where it becomes abominations in the plural. But it says that for a male to lie with a male for homosexuality is an abomination. That's what it says. That's what God spoke to Moses to tell the nation of Israel. This is what the other nations do when they make the land unclean so that the land wants to vomit them out. They do this abomination. Now, this word is, is, is uh, used over 100 times in the Hebrew Bible. And if you looked up in Hebrew what abomination means, guess what you would think it means? Abomination. Okay. The other word you might find if you did some digging is you might find the translation loathsome. I mean, it's meant to be a strong word. God didn't stumble when he was speaking here. God wasn't confused about what he was saying. No, what God said, and it needs to be said here today, is that for a male to lie with a male is an abomination. Now, that, that is obviously a highly debated issue. And that is actually something that's not really even debated anymore. Because in 2008, the highest court in our land went exactly against God's law, and we made our own law that two men, two women, same-sex couples could get married legal, legally in the United States of America. And so it says it here. I just want to give you some verses you could write down. Uh, the verses, if you ever are talking to someone about what does the Bible really say about homosexuality, 
Well, you could write down here Leviticus 18.22. You could write down Leviticus 20.13, where it brings it up again and talks about the punishment of it there in the nation of Israel. And then you could also write down Romans chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, where it talks about women with women and men with men exchanging what is natural, it says there. And then there are two passages, and I want to turn you to one of them. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, hopefully you can find 1 Timothy with me. This is one of the letters written by Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 8, if you could turn there with me, it's on page 991, if you got one of our Bibles. And, and Paul here, he's going to write about the law, and he's, he's, really, uh, he's really referring to Leviticus as a part of the law, he's referring to the whole thing, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And he uses a word here that's translated, men who practice homosexuality. And this word is used two times in the New Testament, one is here, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. The other is in another letter of Paul's, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 to 11. So he uses this word. Let's look at it together. Let me read this passage. It says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Okay, so the word he uses there, that's translated men who practice homosexuality. We'll put it up here on the screen. It's arsenikoites. Can you see this Greek word up here on the screen? Arsenikoites. That's what it would look like if you read it in Greek. And there has been, if you read about it, there is a lot of debate about this word. Because people are desperately trying to get around what the Bible says about same-sex marriages. And so people are debating this constantly. Now, let me just take a little time out. And let me just say something, that the Bible is clear from the very beginning, before there is any sin, that God made them male and female, and he told the two of them, when they became one, to be fruitful and multiply. So if the Bible never said anything explicitly against homosexuality, just by the nature of God's design, if you were studying what God intended for human beings, you would not come to the conclusion that that's how God made us just by the nature of his design. So the fact that there are five passages that explicitly say, hey, I know the other nations are doing this. Don't do it. It's a part of becoming unclean and making the land unclean. Five times it, the scripture goes out of its way to warn us about this, even though just by understanding how God designed marriage, we would never come to that conclusion from the scripture. 
And so in this word, arsenokoites, it's like this compound word that Paul's using, and the arson there means male, and the koites is like the idea of a bed or to lay. And so it's the idea of male and to lay, but it's not really a common Greek word. It's like a word that Paul made up by compounding the word male and the word to lay, and so that's why it's translated men who practice homosexuality. But there's all kinds of debate. How do we know what it really means because we can't find it all over in the Greek language of the day. It's like Paul made up this word. So how do we really know if it's really saying that or not? Okay, here's what I want to show you. I want to show you Leviticus 18.22 translated into the Greek language. Okay, so this would be in the Septuagint. This would be the the, uh, Hebrew Bible that the people would have had at Paul's time. They would have translated it from Hebrew into Greek. This is the Greek translation of Leviticus 18.22. And let's see here if a couple of things pop out to us. Let's go to the next slide. Can you notice that in the command it says the arsenos, the man should not lie koite he is literally taking the command from leviticus 18 22 and he is making a word out of it he is explicitly referring to what we're studying in leviticus and he's saying those kind of people they need to be saved by the gospel of jesus christ just like all of us do and i'm sure you find yourself somewhere here in this list I'm sure you're one of these people that are described here as someone who's striking their father and mother, a murderer, sexually immoral, a homosexual, an enslaver, a liar, a perjurer. You know who you are and you know what you need. You need the blessed gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what you need to save your soul. So when people try to tell you Leviticus is some old, out-of-date rules that we don't need, that's so ancient, we're so much smarter than that, we're so much better than that, we've moved past that, well then why is Paul quoting that in the context of people who need to be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now turn back to Leviticus 18, because that's, that's not the end of what he says of these abominations Uh, It says here in verse 23, something that it explicitly calls a perversion here. Leviticus 18, verse 23, it says, You shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. And so that's, that's how this chapter works. Now, now you can see, this isn't just a, a list of rules. This is like God bringing Israel aside and saying, hey, do you guys see Egypt? Did you see how they would uncover nakedness? Do you th- see how they would have sex outside of marriage? Do you see how they would kill their children? Do you see how they would accept homosexuality, bestiality? Do you remember that? Hey, guys, look at Canaan. Do you know what they're known for about offering their kids to Molech? Do you know the history of the Canaanites, how they uncovered nakedness? These are things that if you do, when I give you this land, you, like every other nation, will become unclean so that the land you live on wants to get rid of you. If you're a kind of person like like myself who has grown up all your life loving America. I love this nation. I love this country. I have the same birthday as Ronald Reagan. You know what I'm talking about? All right? 
I'm not here to bash America. I love America. I am, I am an American. No other country I'd rather. You know what? I even love California. I know it's not really cool to say that these days. So many people think in Idaho, Texas, Colorado are better. I'm not going anywhere. Anybody want to say amen to that here? I love this place. There's a reason it costs so much and everybody wants to live here, because it's better than other places. <laughs> I, lo I love this place, okay? I love this country that you and I live on. And I grew up my whole life thinking that this is the greatest nation on earth. And what I'm realizing now is that if we're the greatest nation on earth, what happened to all the other greatest nations on earth? And now what I'm realizing is every time I hear somebody say, well, how strong our military is so that we're not afraid of any of our enemies, I'm like, what is our military going to do for us if God is our enemy? Every time I hear somebody talk about the environment and their concern for our planet, I wonder to myself if that's maybe not really what's making the land sick. We got big problems right here where you and I live. We got people every day watching people uncover their nakedness. We got all kinds of sex outside of marriage. We're killing more children than any other way that people are dying. We have made homosexuality legal in our land. We are committing these abominations that make our land sick and want to vomit us out of its mouth. This is not talking about some ancient nations. This is talking about the nation that you live in right now. That if God were to come down here and judge us and drive us out of this land today, he would be right to do so. Because not only have we not listened to his law, we mock his law. Look back at verse 19. Here's the kind of thing that people would try to use to discredit everything we're talking about here tonight. Look at this. You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she is in her menstrual uncleanness. Now, if you've been reading through Leviticus, we realize that hopefully you've been sticking with it and reading through it. That God is there and he's in the midst of these people. And because he's having this tabernacle, and being there with the people, there's all of these ideas about what it means to be clean and unclean. A lot of things that are hard for us to understand in this ancient culture. A lot of things that we're not still thinking about today. But one of the things that clearly made people unclean at that time was blood. This was a big deal. Like there could only be the blood of a sacrifice. All other kinds of blood, if you ate it, if you touched it, if it was coming out of you, then you were unclean. And you couldn't be right with God and be unclean. That was for this people at this time. And so a woman who's going through her menstrual uncleanness would have been considered unclean. And see, that's the kind of thing. Out of this whole chapter, they would pick that one verse. And all these other verses are super clear. This is sin. This is an abomination. This is a perversion. This is what makes the land unclean. And now people want to say, yeah, but you guys don't do that one thing right there, so let's just throw the rest of it out. No, I think the rest of it's pretty clear. And I think God's saying exactly what he wants to say. And the reason that we don't keep all the, all the little details here about clean and unclean is because we don't have a, a tabernacle here among us. No, because there's already been blood that has been shed that makes us all clean, and that's the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we are clean because of Jesus. 
And so, yes, verse 19, we don't look at the same because we're not living with that same thought of clean or unclean based on blood flowing out of us because blood flowed out of Jesus and declared us clean. He declared foods clean. He actually came and started touching lepers and people with bloody discharges, and when he touched them, he made them clean. He started spreading cleanness all over the world. That's what Jesus did. But everything else here, This is what God says. And see, this is what's really intense about this sermon, this moment that we're coming to right now, because somebody is wrong here in this room. Somebody's wrong. And either God's wrong with what he's saying, Leviticus is wrong and that we don't need it anymore, I'm wrong that I'm here teaching it, or America's wrong and we're wrong for where we live. Somebody's wrong. Because our Supreme Court has said, hey, you know what? You can abort a baby anytime you want, and that's safe and legal here in these United States. Our highest court in the land has said, yes, two men can lie together. They can get married together. We have different laws than God's law. And everybody here has got to decide who you think is wrong. Because somebody's wrong. Either the nation you live in is wrong, and right now, The land is maybe getting so sick of us, it's ready to vomit us out at any moment. Or either God's wrong. And we're wasting our time being here talking about this tonight. People have been blaming Leviticus for a long time. You're going to blame Leviticus or you're going to take some responsibility? See, when it comes to America, I don't have an us versus them mentality. I'm not here to judge any one of my fellow Americans. I am an American. I still believe in the United States of America. And I still pray that it will be one nation under God. And so that's really what we're getting to. If you want to flip your hand out over, we got three points I want to leave you with in response to this uh, chapter. Point number one is the question that you got to ask yourself is not the issues, but is he your God? This is the question we, we got to take away from Leviticus. The main phrase in this chapter, how he begins it, how he ends it. I am the Lord your God. You're not going to be like the other nations because I am the Lord your God. Our relationship, our covenant is why you would listen to me and do what I say. Okay. So the question, if you're offended because we talked about abortion here this evening, you're offended because we talked about homosexuality or, or adultery or pornography or, or some kind of incest, all these things that came up in this chapter. If you're offended by those things, I, I would encourage you, is he your God? That's the real question you should be asking. We spend way too much time in this nation arguing and debating the issues, but really what matters is, Are you going to listen to what God says? Because he has authority over you, and he's your God. If he's your God, he's going to teach you how to think about many different things. But if he's not your God, you're going to go along with the opinions of other people. It's not about many issues that we need to debate and argue. The question is, who here tonight can say, he's my God, and I listen to him. I keep his rules. He tells me what to do. He has authority over my life, and I believe that when God tells me to do something, he tells me because he loves me and has a design for my good. And so I listen to God because he's my God. Now, if I was talking to somebody, if I was talking to you one-on-one, And I would want so bad for you to believe in Jesus Christ. I would want so bad for you to repent from your sin 
and trust in Jesus. And I would not ask you, what do you think about abortion? I would not ask you, what do you believe about homosexuality? I wouldn't expect you to agree with what God says them about those things until you would be able to say, he's your God. And then he would teach you. Then he would change you. Then he would renew your mind and set your heart on fire. This is why so many Christian people who are arguing so many issues with people are missing the point. If he's not our God, we will be like all the other nations. The thing we need to be talking about with our fellow Americans is God, not all the issues of the day. He has to be the Lord our God if we're really going to submit to his authority and do what he tells us to do. So this isn't about a particular issue, and it's definitely not about politics. This is about who has authority over your life. Who do you listen to when it comes down to it? Who do you believe really has your best interest at heart? Do you think you know best for yourself? Do you believe America knows best about yourself? Or are you wrong and your country's wrong and God's right? And he says, if you do my rules, you will live. Who do you listen to? Who do you believe? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 11. Let's go to the other passage that mentions homosexuality. It mentions that word arsenokoites, quoting Leviticus 18.22. In fact, it mentions many different sins, the sexual immorality, the idolatry like Molech here. You need to see this passage. This is a great passage that summarizes what we're saying here tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. It's on page 955. This is a passage I, I think we need to memorize. I think if you had a chance to, to share with your fellow American a passage of Scripture, this might be the one that you would want to use right here. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay, it's basically saying this fundamental principle that there's two ways you can live. The way of the world, which is to live in your sin, or the way of God, which is to live according to his commandments, according to his holiness. Not that we could ever keep his commands by ourselves, but no, Jesus perfectly kept those commands. He perfectly fulfilled all the law. He shed his blood to pay for all of your sin, and he offers you now righteousness with God. And so look what it says here. Don't you know, you're either one side or the other. If you're unrighteous, if you're a sinner, if you're a wrongdoer, if you're lawless, if you live like the law of God doesn't apply to you, you're not going to heaven when you die. You're not in the kingdom right now. Do not be deceived. That's a key line we need to think about. When it says, do not be deceived, that's implying a lot of people are going to think, I can be unrighteous and I can be in the kingdom of God. That's not how it works. But a lot of people are deceived into thinking that. Don't let yourself be one of them. No, somebody's wrong. It's either God or it's us. Which one? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, all that uncovering nakedness, all that idolatry, the idolatry here it says, nor idolaters offering your children to Molech, nor adulterers, which we read about, nor men who practice homosexuality. Do you see what he's doing here in this passage? He's literally taking us through Leviticus 18. All the elements there. And then he says this, nor thieves, which kind of rolls into Leviticus 19 now. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this line right here. 
and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Point number two, you got to let the law lead you to Jesus. Let the law lead you to Jesus. It says that the law, if it's used in the right way, if it's used lawfully, the law is not meant to make you think, oh yeah, I'm good. The law is so that you would identify yourself as someone who needs to turn to God. That you would be convicted of your sin and that the Holy Spirit would bear witness that you need the perfect righteousness of Jesus. You need His blood to wash you and make you clean. You need to be set apart from your sin, from all the sin around you, and made right, declared right, justified, made right with God. You need Jesus. That's what the law, the law is there. And Jesus fulfilled the law. He actually did everything God commanded. And then he laid his life down as a sacrifice to shed his blood for your sins so that you could have all of his righteousness and he would pay for all of your sins. So the law here, you see your sin in the law and then Jesus fulfills it. And as you believe in Jesus Christ, you are declared not guilty anymore, but righteous. Do you realize that we have a lot of People who have done time in jail for crime that go to this church that are sitting right here in this service? Do you realize we have people who have had abortions that come to this church? Do you realize we have people who have committed adultery that are sitting right here in this room? We have people who identified themselves as homosexuals that are right here in this room, and such were some of you, but you have been made new in Jesus. See, America is not a Christian nation, not anymore. Not by a long shot. But Jesus Christ is saving Christians out of this nation. And he is making people new. And he is doing a mighty work of salvation, not only here, but all over the world. And if we don't start saying that we're wrong, and what's happening in this country is not right, and that we are lawless, and that God is angry with us, and that even the land that we live on wants to vomit us out, then how are people going to see how much they need Jesus? You don't have to live in the sin that defines you. Every single one of us, we could be described with a word like this. We're not here to judge anybody except ourselves. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? Yeah, you read yourself right on in there. Every single one of us, we have a way that we would live, a way that, that would make us unclean before God. But Jesus Christ, he can wash us, he can set us apart and sanctify us, he can declare us right and justify us, and he puts within us now the spirit of, his, of God, the Holy Spirit, who causes us to obey God's commands and walk in his ways. See, the, the sexually immoral here among us at this church, they can't describe themselves as sexually immoral anymore because they have been made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. They're new. They're saved. That's what we're here to offer. Now, this is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. This is where we remember that in 1963, he gave a speech, and he said, I, had a, I have a dream. Remember that speech? Martin Luther King Jr., he had a dream 
uh, that he set in America, and it became this movement that we know of as the civil rights movement, and his dream that he says in that speech, that just as God created all men equal, that we would actually in this nation treat one another as equal, no matter our economical status or the color of our skin. You know what, when Martin Luther King Jr. said that, he was right to say that. You know why he was right? Because that's what God says. God says, you shall love your neighbor as what? See, that's the part of Leviticus everybody likes to quote right there. That's Leviticus 19. That's where it comes from. Martin Luther King Jr., he stood up and he said, hey, we're not doing what God tells us to do. And he was right. And it became the civil rights movement. And then after that came this thing, which was about women's rights, which was about the right to choose. And in 1973, the highest court in our land said that it was legal to kill children. That's what they said. Now, that was another rights movement. See, the civil rights movement, which kind of became the the prototype of these kind of movements, that was a righteous thing. But then this movement right here, for us to kill our own children, that goes against what God says. And we now have said, this is okay here, when God has said, this is never okay. This is what makes the land sick. Who's right and who's wrong? In 2008, we said that same-sex marriage is the same as marriage, and we made that a law here in our land. We took the word abomination off of it, and we in America blessed it. And that's the big sexual rights movement that we're still living in right now. Sexual rights. It's leading to people now deciding which gender they want to be. This is not what God has commanded. This is an abomination. Your nation, what I'm telling you tonight is that your nation is an abomination. What are you going to do about it? It is loathsome to the Lord what is happening in your country. The land that you're walking on, the shiny sea that you watch the sunset go down on, it is sick with your sin. And we are not nearly alarmed enough for our fellow Americans and what might happen to our nation. And so I'm asking you, point number three, to pray for revival. I'm asking you to actually do something about this. I'm asking you to go to God and beg him for mercy that he doesn't judge us. Beg him for patience to bear with us and beg him for repentance to turn people's hearts back to him and what he has said. In fact, Martin Luther King Jr., he had a dream, he had a good dream that everybody would, as God created them equal, that we would love one another and treat another equal. And so we get a day off, we got a three-day weekend to celebrate that we should all love our neighbors as ourselves doesn't matter who our neighbor is. We are called to love them. That is what God commands. So let me tell you what we're going to do to celebrate here at the church Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, the day off that you've got at 7 o'clock Monday night right here in this room. We're going to have a prayer meeting for this nation. 
And we're going to come in here and we're going to make a list of all the abominations that our nation is doing. And we're going to beg God for mercy. And we're going to ask God to turn people's hearts to him. And we're going to say loud so that everybody can hear us that America is wrong and God is right. And people need to stop blaming God and start listening to what he's been saying. We've been praying a lot for this sermon, right? For this moment right now. We've probably prayed for this sermon more than any other sermon we've ever prayed for in the history of this church because we knew what this was going to sound like to America in 2020. And you might find yourself right now, I'm sure there's some here right now, you are in the middle between a nation that's saying one thing And God who's saying another thing. And you're going to make now the most important decision in your life as you choose who is wrong. And I'm just begging you. I'm begging you right now. Don't listen to the greatest nation on earth. Because they're going to go the way of all the greatest nations on earth. Listen to the God who rules the nations on earth. Listen to the God who's pulling you aside. And he's saying, hey, you want to know how history really works? You want to know how nations rise and fall? It's their sin. It makes the land sick. The land vomits them out. Can you hear what God's saying? Listen to God. I promise you, if you believe him, if you follow his rules, if you believe in Jesus Christ's blood to cleanse you from sin, you will live so choose wisely. It says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, God gave this promise to Israel. He said, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. And then it says this last little part. Do you know what, how that verse ends? And I will what? And heal their... Why? Because the land was... Now, we don't have a promise like that for America. That's for Israel. There is no promise that there will be a revival in America, that things will turn around. But we need to pray, and we need to beg God for his mercy. We need to let him know our land is sick and ask him to heal it. Let's pray right now. Father in heaven, we come to you here tonight, and we ask that you would revive us again. God, we ask that you would take us back to a place where we really were one nation under you. God, we're so caught up in all these issues and there's so much hate in our country as people debate and they argue and they judge one another. And God, before all these issues, there was a time when people, they believed in you. They thought you had commandments. They thought it was about how you created us and that was the way that we should live. There was a time of a great awakening in this nation. There was a time when our first president said that you've got to believe in the providence, the divine providence, the hand of God, because look what he's done in America. There was a time when even people who didn't believe in you knew you. They knew you were true. They knew your commands were the right way to live. They knew that if this nation kept your commands, we would live. God, please open people's eyes to see it's not about politics. It's not about issues. It's about a land that has turned away from your rules. You are not our God. We are not living like we listen to you. 
We have gone the way of all nations. And the land is sick. Father, we pray that you will forgive us, that you will cleanse us, and that you will stir up the hearts of all your people in this room to pray to you, to cry out to you, to praise you for the cleansing we have in Christ that we're no longer defined by the sin we used to live in. To pray for our fellow Americans, to beg for them. God, I pray for those who find themselves in the middle right now. Maybe they're angry right now. Maybe they're upset. Maybe they're confused. They want to try to say that you're wrong, God. That your word is wrong. Pray that you would open their eyes to see that when it's all said and done, you will be declared on the right side of history. That you will be worshipped, that you will be praised. And the things that people will say about you is that you are just, that you are right, that you are good, that you are love. And your name will be exalted to the highest place, no matter what anyone says down here. So God, please open people's eyes to believe your word, to see that it's true, to turn from their sin to you. God, please make us a church that actually really prays for America. And please, God, revive us again so that you might get the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.